Sometimes when you look deep into a void, it tends to stare right back. You feel tense, uneasy, and oftentimes think maybe you are going crazy. It is as if something inside of you has awoken. You see with unparalleled vision, looking deeper into the unknown, wondering how it could never have been seen. At the end of the day, it feels just as normal as taking your next breath. Spirits the Podcast and the Search for Injured Cold. My name is Annie Weibel. I'm a paranormal investigator, podcaster, and social media host and I've dedicated more than a decade of my life to explaining the unexplainable. What you'll hear in this podcast is one of the most bizarre stories we've encountered yet, one that has changed the way we've looked at everything. And my name is Brendan Shea. For over a decade, I've been exploring the supernatural and the unexplained. This story we are about to tell was one of the first stories so many years ago that led me down this road and furthered my interest into finding some answers, some truth to what we as humans can only begin to comprehend. This podcast helps share some of these stories to all corners of the globe. We leave it up to you whether you believe it or not. As a young boy, I attended a small Catholic school in Lancaster, Ohio. Its roots trace back a hundred years. The small library was filled with books of all subject matter. The sister who watched over this small room prided herself in having a little bit of everything. Sitting toward the middle aisle at the back of the library was a section that drew me in. You would think being a small Catholic school library, you wouldn't be able to find books on the occult, aliens, and the world's most haunted places. But there they were, a little bit of everything. On the shelf sat a hardback book. Its parchment yellowed, and its ink smelled old. Its dust cover had a slight tear, and its pages dog-eared from years of eyes absorbing its contents. The faded colors on the title read in a purplish text, The Mothman Prophecies by John A. Keel. Accompanying the text was an illustrated picture of a winged humanoid that scared the hell out of me. After seeing this book so many times gathering dust, I finally had the courage to check it out. The story I would begin to read would change how I viewed the world as I had known it, 
I had never found a more fascinating, more mind-altering tale than what happened between November 1966 through December 1967. Our research has led us in so many directions, but before we spell out the details of what we have discovered, let's backtrack to two years ago to tell you why this story has captivated our thoughts, the story that has ingrained itself into our lives. It's Shay and Weebs, and we are headed to where, Annie? Mothman Festival. We just left the house. Okay, we are at uh, the TNT area uh, looking for Mothman. I'm with the Unbelievers, and we'll talk to some of them as we go on. But I'm going to put this thing in my pocket, so it might hear a little ruffling, but we're walking down there trying to figure out where we're going. Excited, Weebs? Do people live out here? I have no idea. Hell yeah, I'm excited. Where are we? We are in Robinson, West Virginia, just outside of Point Pleasant, headed into the woods in the dark. Oh, wow. Okay, so we're about to enter something, a building. We're about to go into a structure. There's a scary noise right here. In September 2018, Shay and I visited the infamous TNT bunkers in Point Pleasant, West Virginia for the first time. As a skeptic of the story, I expected to find nothing more than empty concrete igloo-shaped buildings that dot the landscape of what is now part of the West Virginia Ordnance Works. After investigating the bunkers with a large group of friends for a couple of hours, our group dissipated, leaving only myself, Shay, and our friend Toby. We were in the last bunker in a row of three bunkers, nothing but pitch dark woods and the radioactive runoff pond surrounding us. As we began to leave the bunker, Toby in front and me carrying up the rear, we heard a woman screaming for help in the dark. Only armed with our flashlights, Toby ran out the bunker door and we followed. I stood in the doorway, Shay in front of me, as we watched an older woman emerge from the dark. The woman had no flashlight, and as Toby greeted her, she yelled to him that her granddaughter was somewhere in the woods, exploring with a group of friends and had experienced some type of medical emergency. Toby, being the chivalrous Texan that he was, offered to lead the woman back to the main road with his flashlight. Baffled as to how the woman had managed to fumble her way through the nearly pitch black night with no light, Shay and I scratched our heads as we stood alone, wondering what to do next. Shay walked through the door of the bunker and stood just outside, as I stood almost glued to the entrance. It was only then that I had a familiar feeling, the kind I've had so many times in haunted locations, the feeling of not being alone, the feeling of being watched. As I turned and looked over my shoulder to the rear of the bunker, I realized why. Where there had been no one just seconds ago, there now stood a being. This person, more human-looking than not, was staring back at me, unblinking, and smiling. He was average height, thin, and his skin was so pale he appeared almost translucent. He was bald, had intense blue eyes, 
and wore what I could only describe as a 1950s or 1960s male nurse's uniform. Starch white, short-sleeved, pleated pants, the shirt had buttons all the way up and a short, preacher-like collar. I stood for several seconds, staring back at this person, unable to speak or even process what I was seeing. I turned back to the door to find Shay, still outside the bunker. When I turned again, the being was gone. For both of us to really wrap our heads around everything that has happened to us so far, we had to sit down and talk about it. Two years of looking into a void seems like an eternity, and a lot has happened. So Shay, that's my story. That's your story. That's why we began this uh, research almost two years ago now. And you were with me the night that I had that experience. And you kind of explained some things to me as we came out of the TNT bunkers because I'd never experienced anything like that before and I haven't since. You were so much more familiar with that type of phenomena that when you told me what you thought I had experienced, I it really disturbed me. There are parts of it today that still disturb me that make me uneasy. I won't lie when I say we went back to the hotel that night and I didn't sleep. Every time I closed my eyes, I saw that being standing there in front of me. But that's not even the whole purpose of this is to really sit back and you take it all in and you look at all the parallels that we look at now of maybe why this happened to you. So we take into account, you know, you go there and we're walking around, right? We're having a good time. We're just, you know, talking about our lives. We're all people from all walks of life who get together every year at this Mothman Festival. And we go and we hang out. And one of the things we do is we explore these bunkers. And this was the first time that I had been there myself at the actual physical TNT bunkers. I'd never explored them before. And we were there at night. So it made it even more eerie and ominous, I guess. And you hope something happens. I mean, that's why we're doing this. We're hoping something happens, but more more or less, this weekend is filled with people everywhere, so this TNT bunkers are filled with 50 million other people trying to have a same, similar experience. 50 and, million is a stretch. There were some other people out there. I mean, you know, people go out there to have these experiences all the time, and there were other people out there, but when we had this experience. There was nobody else out there. But that's my point. The point is, when you look at all of these people who've had contact with something, they hear all these strange, weird things. And what happened to you was a woman came out of nowhere, screaming, looking for her granddaughter. And this this uh, scenario left you at a vulnerable point, like we're all on edge because there's this woman screaming, looking for her child. And it's like, oh my God, it's pitch black. There's no, no lights here. There's nothing. It's, and there's a big pond of water in the middle of all of these bunkers. And seemingly this woman comes out of nowhere. How'd she get over there? She had no light. It basically like she appeared out of nowhere. And we were way back there. It's way not back like there. she just stumbled off the road and no, you know, I, was a few feet away. We were maybe a quarter mile back into the woods. And this woman literally, like you said, stumbles out of nowhere from the dark, no flashlight. That's why we were all so taken aback. I think something really did happen with her granddaughter because by the time we made it back to the road, there were police and EMS there 
So it is, was apparent that somebody had called for help. But this woman coming out of there in that fashion startled all of us. And maybe that was why I saw what I saw. I don't know. And that's that's my point. It was some kind of sign. But that's not even, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You saw this being and, you know, the the description you gave, yeah, it looked like some of these other aliens people have seen or ultra terrestrials or whatever you want to call them. But I remember the first thing that you said to me when I told you what I saw, you looked at Toby, who knew a lot about this phenomena as well and had a, a podcast and was doing some digital recording. And you look at Toby and you said, that sounds Nordic, right? And I had no idea what that meant. Well, what sounded Nordic to me was the eyes that you described. Right. Like the so blue eyes. I guess explain what a Nordic is. Explain it like you were explaining it to me that night. It's basically a race of aliens. If you look at all these, you know, things that John Keel, for instance, wrote about, the way that they described these these alien beings is they were blonde haired, blue eyes. You know, they look like they were from the Nordic region. He called them Laplanders, but people also say that these aliens are also Oriental looking. So what the, what you described sounded like a similar description for, of what these people were describing in 1966 and 1967 and beyond of all these different entities that they see. Indrid Cold, they described it was tan-skinned. He looked like, you know, as we, we heard in Connor's description and Tony's description. One Sunday afternoon during the war years, I went out for a walk down a country lane in Meridian near Coventry. By sheer accident, I came across a metal dome-shaped structure, which I took to be a permanent building. Next to this structure was a line of smoking chimneys, poking up through the grass. There were tall men all around the structure, apparently adjusting something at the center. As I walked past them, the man at the center of the part facing the lane raised his hands to face level and appeared to be cleaning them with a duster. As he walked closer to me, I gave him a smile, but he did not smile back until he had finished cleaning his hands. He then gave me a slow smile, and he seemed to be weighing me up. All the men were wearing one-piece garments. They had unusually high foreheads, and their skin seemed to be tanned. This was unusual because during the war, people tended to be pasty-faced. There was definitely something different about the eyes. The structure appeared to be quite strong, that is, solid, giving off a gray-blue light. I recall walking past, and on retracing my footsteps, was surprised to find that it had disappeared. The Kathy Connolly UFO Encounter So that was September of 2018. Flash forward to September 2019, I do a story on my live show with Russ Ryan from the uh, Unbelievers podcast about injured cold again, and it kind of sets into motion this research that we had been doing before. I was very pregnant at the time, and so as we start doing this research again, we began having more paranormal activity here at home. 
Now, here's full disclosure. I've had paranormal activity in this house before. The house has an odd history. We have a collection of antique portraits that we've brought from all over the place. We thought at first that maybe it was something that came in here with us or with something that we brought in here. But it became almost undeniable that the activity that we were having here in the house paralleled the research that we were doing. We ramped up the research. The activity ramped up here. The first night that I really remember, the first instance that really kind of frightened me and caught me off guard was around last Christmas. We were researching a place. We had talked to Connor before, right? Connor's been on this show twice now. Yeah, we now. had Connor on right before Christmas. It was the end of November. It was right before Christmas. Right. And we had talked to Connor. And, you know, when you're doing these interviews, we we talk before and we talk after. We talk after the recording because there's stuff we don't want on the recording. And there was stuff that he told us that, you know, kind of parallel them. We, we've been keeping a lot of stuff to our close to the chest. You know what I mean? We just don't tell everybody everything that we have. It's just not what we're going to do. And like Annie said, we've had all this strange stuff happen for a long time. We talked to Connor. Our whole, well, my whole life. Yeah. But. Well, we talked to Connor more off the record than we did on the record that night, I guess. And I told him about the experience that I had at the TNT bunkers. And he said something to me that night that made me start kind of researching not just the activity, but the locations where the activity began. And that night we had the first really kind of frightening experience that looking back at it now, I feel like was related to our research. So what I remember of it was I was researching a specific location that night and I fell asleep with my phone in my hand doing this research and the next thing I know, it's about three o'clock in the morning and the light is on in the dining room. The, ki- the, the Christmas tree light was on and I looked over at you and you are wide awake in bed beside me with this absolutely terrified look on your face. And it startled me and I asked what was wrong and you said, there's something messing with me. And the way that you said it just frightened me. And I said, what are you talking about? And you said, something is pulling the blanket at the end of the bed. Something is messing with me. And I'm thinking that you are just asleep at this point. You're like half asleep. You've been drinking I don't this. remember. You don't remember <laughs> I this? I don't remember. I mean, I remember being awake, but I don't remember being frightened and looking at you like, what the hell is going on? Your like, eyes were so big that you scared me. And so I told you to go back to sleep. I said, it's nothing, you know, you're dreaming, go back to sleep. And so you kind of rolled over. And within just a couple of minutes, you were snoring. I was very pregnant at the time. I don't snore. You snored. You totally snored. And so I was very pregnant at the time. And it took me so much longer to fall asleep. And as I'm laying there in bed, it's probably... 10 minutes after you're asleep again, I feel something tug at the end of the bed. And I sat up and looked towards the foot of the bed, thinking that one of the cats was down there. There was nothing down there. And I watched the blankets 
be pulled off of us towards the end of the bed. And it absolutely terrified me. That's the first time that something has ever physically manipulated anything around me. And I thought, oh my God, he wasn't dreaming. Whatever was going on at that moment, I had just experienced, I have chills again now thinking about it. I experienced the exact same thing. And it's crazy that you were that, you don't even remember it because it was so vivid. And that was the moment that was kind of a turning point because the last thing I remember before I went to sleep was researching this location where this stuff is so heavily involved. No, it's 100% accurate uh, because we had a couple weeks there where it was just so much stuff was going on that we didn't even, you know, have a time to do anything, even let alone record just a regular podcast episode. Like just so much stuff was going on and everything was calm. And that's why this stuff is so weird. It's because when you read this stuff and you look at the parallels of everybody who's investigating this stuff. Now we're not we dove headfirst, unbridled, into this rabbit hole of UFO phenomena, sightings of interdimensional beings and creatures, dreams and numerology, technology, and paranormal activity, not knowing what to expect, not expecting anything to materialize in our daily lives. But it did. And we had no idea how to make sense of it all. We were being plagued haunted by bizarre activity and coincidences. And along the way, we've made friends. Friends whose research into other forms of bizarre phenomena seem to magnetize us together. We realized that while we all began at different points on a circle, we were all definitely on the same path that was destined to converge at some point. What's up, man? What are you doing? Chilling like a villain. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I'm Nathan Isaac, um, the host of Penny Royal, um, uh, the Penny Royal podcast. And, um, you know, it's um, an interesting podcast about some mysteries that um, that we discovered um, here in uh, Pulaski County in Kentucky, um, in Somerset, uh, where the um, uh, the Penny Royal Plateau is located. And so... Um, yeah, I'm I'm the host of that show, and uh, and we've been researching that mystery for about three years now. So, why did you begin the journey into the mystery of Somerset? Definitely, in one way, boredom, <laughs> because of because of where 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 I found myself after living in Lexington, Kentucky, um, but uh, moving back to a small town. I'm from a small town. Um, I was very much like man is there anything here? Right. You know, you're just, it's like you, you live in a metropolitan city. You can get anything you want. There's so many cultures, you know, information about everything. Uh, it's just, it's just a whole other culture. And then you, you come to a small town and I'm not trying to hate on small towns. I love small towns, but I love small towns even more now because of this. Right. Because I, heard all of these stories about Somerset, you know, my neighbors, other people were telling me these outlandish stories and, and definitely my sort of, um, the rabbit hole that kind of brought me into, to looking at all of this were a couple of uns, unsolved murders, right? It was one of those sort of like true crime things where, um, I hear this, oh, just absolutely nuts story. Um, about two people ki killed here in town, 
and how there's this conspiracy and the the towns involved and and I thought there's no way this is true, right? Especially if there was a cult, right? That that could involve the the mayor and the sheriff and you know all these people. So that that got me digging, you know. And then once I started digging, once I started interviewing people and and started to collect the folklore from here and to really start looking at this place. I mean, this the people that live here are that were born here and have lived here. They've had their families here. Um, they've they've uh, found their livelihoods here. They are absolutely tied to this land, and that's how my dad was. You know, my and, and you know, coming from McGoffin County, coming from Eastern Kentucky, my family lived on the same piece of land for 150 years, right? And then the the all the extended family were within five miles. It's like they never thought to leave that place. That was the piece of land they were born on. That was the piece of land they were going to die on, right? And so that's to me that's an incredible relationship, right? And Nate, Annie, and I have been corresponding this, uh, back and forth since him, Darian West, and Kyle Cadell first came on the podcast back in January of 2020. Since that time, we have talked on a regular basis, sharing information back and forth. And it seems every time we talk, strange things begin to happen. Inclement weather, the power goes out, and strange static and interference interrupts our calls. Just like the static you just heard. I sat down with Nate two nights in a row. We wanted to get an idea of what we could be involved in and what he has experienced diving deep into their own research. When I started digging into it here in Somerset, I mean... It's strange the interplay between the stories and and how there is sort of this feedback that happens, you know, of a place and of the stories that get told about a place and then the people that are in that place being affected by the stories. And it's one thing to be or to take the, the role or the, you know, put on the mantle of a folklorist and collect those stories and see how those stories have affected people. But then as you're studying it, to have it start to affect you too, right? And that was where it got really strange because these stories that I began to collect and look at, then in the same way that I was seeing that they influenced the people, because I thought I could be detached from it. You know, I thought that I could be this, you know, independent observer of these backwards people in this, you know, place like, ha ha, you know, look, they've got these ridiculous stories. Let me gather them and see how they've fallen into their own sort of, you know, uh, tales that they've told themselves. And then as I did that, those stories began to affect me and, and started to become a part of my life. Right. And then that caused me to have a particular connection to this place that I never, ever would have thought that I would call, you know, McGoffin County is definitely my home in, in terms of where I was born, but this really feels like home now because I have such a connection to it. And it's all because of the relationship between looking at this place and looking at these stories and then those stories, th thinking that I couldn't possibly be affected by them, 
And now I am. And now the stories I'm telling. You're are, a part of the story now. Right. And that and, and see, we interviewed, you know, a friend of mine here in town is a folklorist. She came here and she was um, studying uh, rural wrestling, right? And the narratives in these small wrestling cultures. And she had a grant from like, oh, I forget. It was like some, some college. It was like a big grant to study this here. And she ended up here. And so she's into researching the paranormal a bit too, because of, you know, she loves stories, you know, and again, she's, she is an academic folklorist. And so when she and I were talking one day about it, she was like, how do you feel about the fact that you as a folklorist who were collecting all these stories have now become part of the story. And now the story you're telling is affecting other people whose folklore you're trying to study. Cause she was like, that's a no, no for folklorists. Right. You, you can't get involved. Right. You've got to you've got to look at these things independently. But that, that's my point. And I think that's the point. That was the point of of Penny Royal and still is. Is that, you know, when you do look at the relationship between people and place, you know, you can't independently do that study to even engage in that. You're also going to be. Uh, tainted or you know, it's like radiation almost you know and you know once you enter that space you're you're subject to the same effects as the people that you thought you were studying and i think that's true this this whole paranormal field and then exactly what we're, we've been talking about right it's like it's, if you want to engage this and really start to interact with it it is like a radiation When a specific individual with proper qualifications is located in a specific window area, at a time when specific electromagnetic conditions exist, a flat period, then that individual is able to perceive beyond the visible spectrum or possibly intercept a signal that plants an image in his or her mind. While the image may be very vivid and detailed, it is actually non-real subjective, and hallucinatory. John Keel, Flying Saucer to the Center of Your Mind. So that was just the first of many things that happened. It got kind of calm after the baby was born, or maybe it didn't. Maybe we were just so in over our heads with being new parents that we didn't see it in the moment. The next thing that I remember happening to me was coming down into the basement one day, and I was looking for something, And as I turn to go out of one room of the basement, I hear something crash behind me. And there was an air pump for like our air mattresses that was sitting up on the shelf. And it had come off the shelf where it was sitting and was laying in the middle of the floor, almost like something had kind of tossed it at me on my way out the door. And so I stop and that catches my attention. And then within just a few days of that, you had a pen thrown across the room at you. We have a calendar in our kitchen and... There's a pen that sits on top of it, and I'm one of them freaks that marks the days off every day. I put an X, oh, today's over, put an X in it. 
And that thing sits there all the time. We walk by it all the time. There's a back door right there. We open and close that back door all the time. The pen never moves. I was walking by and I, I forget what I was doing. I was thinking about something or I was reading something and I had I had a book in my hand and I think it was uh, Visitors from Lanulos. And I was just walking up the basement stairs and I walked past it. And next thing I know, I feel that pen hit me in the back and it flew completely across the room. I didn't see it fly across the room, but it flew across the room. There again, I'm doing some type of research. I'm looking at something in my head. And bam, something happens that I can't explain. Yesterday, as we were getting ready to come downstairs and do some recording, you had something happen happen to you in the dining room that you kind of yelled at me. And it's almost like it's become commonplace now. You yell at me and you say, I just watched my sweatshirt get pulled off the table. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know. But you look at me and you're kind of stunned that it happened. I heard it hit the floor, but it's like, again, as we're doing this research, these things start to happen. I've never had anything like this. You know, investigating haunted locations and dealing with ghost entities or whatever, I've never had anything feel this way. It's just a different odd feeling. And that's why I just don't chalk it up to being just like, you know, oh, the house is haunted by Joe the plumber or whatever like I, I I just don't feel that this time because I've been here long enough to know that that's not what happens things happen on occasion and things have happened you know every time I've left a, a you know a, a ghost hunt or something like that I just think that you know when you look into this stuff it looks back and it, it just follows you stuff happens here and there and it just goes away this is different this is not the same there's so many other things going on and it just it parallels everything that we're doing and it, the more research you do and you look into the stuff you see that they do, they parallel all these contactees. One of the most startling things that has happened happened to me just a couple of weeks ago, but leading up to that was an occurrence that my mom had here in the house. Complete disclaimer, my mom believes nothing in the paranormal world. She doesn't believe in ghosts. She doesn't believe in spirits. She might believe in angels and demons just because of her religious background. I've talked to her about paranormal investigating before. She doesn't believe any of it. She is the biggest skeptic. And so a few weeks back, I came home from work. You know, she stays here and she watches the baby while you and I work. And we're having normal conversation and she said, something happened to me today that was just different. And I asked her what happened. And she said she was standing in the kitchen and Rory was in the living room in her walker. Mom was, I think, making something for her to eat. And she heard a woman say, hello. And mom said she described it just like you would pick up the phone and answer. And her immediate reaction was, that Rory had somehow gotten her cell phone and accidentally dialed somebody. And so she goes into the living room, and she said as she was walking through there, she hears the woman again go, hello, a little more questioning this time. And so she makes it over to the baby. She picks her up out of her walker and is looking for her phone, and she hears it a third time. She said she clearly heard a woman say, hello, like very questioning this time. And it's then that she realizes that the baby did not have her phone, that it was laying over on the couch. She had no idea where this voice came from. And it's the first time that my mom has ever said anything like that to me, that she's had some type of experience that she cannot explain. So flash forward a couple of weeks after that, I'm standing in our kitchen. It's on a Friday night. I'm washing our dinner dishes. And you make a comment to me about something about Rory's skin. 
She's got this scratch on her face right now. And I say, it's because she's a ginger baby. And so clearly, right over my right shoulder, a woman said into my ear, yep. And it was so close to me, so startling that I literally felt air moving around me. And I dropped the dish that I had in my hand and put my hands over my ears and walked into the living room. And you were like, what's going on? And I said, somebody just answered that question like right in my ear. And it just it just startled me. It just threw me because never in my life has something been that direct with me. But it's almost like like there's somebody on the other side of a veil. Like we can't see each other, but we're interacting somehow. And I the only thing that has changed in our lives is this research that we've been doing. Have we thinned a veil somehow to something that we don't understand? Why, especially with us, right? With with like Darian and I have talked about this numerous times that, especially recently, that in order for the things to have happened that we've become involved in and that have affected our lives, the only options are that, that it's completely random, right? Which seems not possible, right? It's, it's too specific to us. Right in 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 this thing that we've been involved in, this part of the mystery, it's so spe- it became so specific. You know, the more that it progressed, and the more that we interacted with it, the more that it seemed to be specific to us. And so then it begs the question that either this was started, you know, decades ago, and was specifically targeted you know, individuals, specific individuals in order to be a part of all of this, right? For some, you know, is it the government doing, you know what I'm saying? Like, did they test some type of psychotronic weapon, you know? Like, is it something that they found out about reality through MK Ultra, and they did these experiments and, and, and maybe it's not even MK Ultra. maybe it was some program we've never heard of, but they found out that somehow there's there's an element to reality and they experimented with it and the reverberations from those experiments are affecting us right i mean it's just it's it's too incredible some of the things that have happened in darian's early life and my early life that they just keep reverberating right but then it's like that is that giving the government <laughs> or some private group too much credit, right? Because in order to orchestrate some of this stuff, I mean, it would take an AI. It would take a supercomputer to know the patterns of causality that would have to be executed in a, such a precise manner, like a mechanism for all of this to, to even to pan out this way, right? You'd have to know the probabilities of, 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 of these things happening. Well- Project MKUltra was the code name given to a once top secret program conducted by the Central Intelligence Agency. The program was designed to experiment on human subjects using drugs such as LSD in order to weaken individuals and force confessions through brainwashing and psychological torture. The project worked with the U.S. Army's Biological Warfare Laboratories. The program was halted in 1973 
as deemed to be illegal because of its use on unwitting test subjects. MKUltra used numerous techniques to manipulate its subjects' mental states and brain functions, such as high doses of psychoactive drugs and other chemicals, electroshock therapy, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, verbal and sexual abuse, and other forms of torture. The documents were declassified in 2001. Although the project was shut down, did the testing really stop? Just to add a side note here, quantum computing has been around since 1997. But it wasn't until 2016 when IBM became the first company to put a quantum computer on the cloud. During all our research, you won't be surprised to know that one of the main companies that has perfected one of the best quantum computers on the market is Honeywell. The most alarming anomaly that has happened to you and I has again been happening late at night, and we have both experienced this, hearing somebody whisper to us in our sleep. I've heard it several times. You have heard it now. Whether it's just a hey in the middle of the night or just something that startles you and catches your attention, what frightened me the most about it this last time that it happened was that I was wide awake. The baby was rolling around in the bed and I had just laid my head back down and I heard you very loudly whisper my name. And so when I sat up and looked over at you getting ready to respond, I realized that you were sound asleep. It was so clearly your voice. And when I laid down, my heart was pounding. And I thought, there's something to this. There is something to the level of the way that we are communicating right now. Something is different. Something is manifesting in a way that I've never experienced before. We briefly discussed in episode two how Woodrow Derenberger used mental telepathy to communicate with Ingrid Cole and Kevon Shaw. Even though I had been using telepathy, I still did not understand it completely. So I asked Indrid to explain it to me. After he had done so, I did understand it, but it is still hard for me to put into words, although I will try. Mental telepathy, or thought transference as they call it, is very simple. It is merely the ability to release your thoughts and to do this you have to trust the person or persons you are talking to, for you actually open your mind to let the other person look into it. You just think what you want them to know, and the thoughts are transferred into that other person's mind. Indrid told me that the impulses from a person's mind are stronger than any radio signal known to man, but you have to know how to direct them and control them. You, also as the receiver, have to know how to relax your mind and let thought or words from in your own mind. It does sound hard to understand, but it does work. For with them, I can communicate as easily as I can speak English. Visitors from Lanulos by Woodrow Derenberger. Well, 
all these strange things with with voices like that. You hearing people talk to you, and we're so comfortable with each other that we're able to maybe unconsciously and not aware, you know, I'm I'm having a dream about you, or I'm just being able to speak with you. You know, the whole astral plane is like something else that that happens to a lot of people researching this stuff or looking into alien abduction and whatever. They say that a lot of this stuff has to do with the astral plane. You know, Woody Durenberger talked about visiting Lanulos, and it was in the constellation Ganymede, but, you know, either they thinned some kind of veil and, and jumped space and did this time slip or something like that, or, you know, they made him unconscious and took him in an astral, you know, projection of himself and took him to where they're from. I mean, it's quite possible that it's me unconsciously talking to you. But I've also heard you speak to me a time or two, even when you're not even in the house, I've heard you. And it's just, it's a strange phenomenon that I can't, I've never experienced it before, ever, ever in my life, ever experienced it. It was just so, I started, I actually had a weird moment. This has never happened to me before, but I had a weird moment where I started to think, is it possible that none of this is real? Like this is too, it's too incredible what I'm witnessing. And am I even sitting here with Darian working on this? You know, am I in this room? Am I, have I lost my fucking mind? In, in the midst of all of this, and 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 I, and I'm I'm generating this right, but I wasn't. But in in a number of other a number of other weird sinks like that where people have been channeling words or images, it's happening to Dan too. Dan Dutton um, is corresponding with people that are fans of Penny Royal that have reached out to him because of the show, and. They've been sending him dreams that they've been having, and it's the fucking artwork he's working on, right? It's the it's like it's there's a dude in Australia that contacted him, and he had he had was working on a piece, and it was exactly what he was working on, and it's like there's that message, you know, of this guy saying these things, and it's like there it is on it, you know, he's working on it, and how how could that even be possible? I don't know. I mean, it, I don't know. I don't know what it means. It's just, it's so strange. But it's like, is it because we're we're interacting with this and researching this? Because Dan has now, you know, this has sort of opened him back up to the mystery. I mean, it never stopped for him. But I'm just saying, now he's revisited, you know, the fawn with me. He's revisiting the Stone Man, which is another opera. And it definitely deals with elementals. I mean, he created a manual on how to contact elementals. I mean, I've already told the people in the lodge. They know about it because we're researching all this stuff, you know. But um, so also after I released the show, I started getting these like really, really cra- crazy messages from people. Um, that was part saying, of the thing, strange visitors or anything like that. That's part of the question. The next uh, part. Too. Strange visitors? Yeah, like that's whatever you're gonna say. Yeah, that's like the next part of the question. If any, oh. like shit like that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'll, I'll, let me <laughs> let me tell you this one first, and then I'll tell you the other thing. Um, so, after the show came out, um, later, uh, I guess in the spring of last year. No, it was last. It was it was right before the show came out. Yeah, right before uh, we released Penny Royal. Um, 
Greg Newkirk and Dana Newkirk did um, a, the second Phenomenacon. Can you hear that? Did you hear that? I heard something. <laughs> a strange man. All right. Well, so, so they did the Phenomenon, and then we both stopped, or you stopped, and I was like, what happened? The other really bizarre thing that happened, I mean, there were lots of bizarre things, but um, after the show was released, one of the craziest things was the appearance of these signs all over town. I told you about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. So, so that was strange that, that it, you know, these signs appear saying, you know, that they mentioned, um, Sammy Ketron, the sheriff that was assassinated. They mentioned Lester Burns, the attorney that was involved in lots of criminal activity here in town. Also was the owner of the Guterma mine with, uh, Spiro Agnew and sold it, you know, to Guterma. And, so these names were on these signs and there's no connection between really Sammy Catron and Lester Burns. And, and the signs were talking about how this town was a cult called the FBI, um, that it was the Truman show that none of this was real. And, um, it just, it was, there were, I think in total there were seven signs and then one house at the right. When you drive into town, someone had climbed on top of this, abandoned house across from the health department and spray painted those same words. Um, this town is a cult call the FBI. The cyber terrorists have taken over, you know, the mayor, the cops, the lawyers, the doctors are involved. And this like, and then the town then bulldozed it. Right. And got rid of it, which, which then everyone's like, do they bulldoze it? Because, <laughs> because it, you know, like they're actually involved, but obviously not. But, um, it just it that was so weird because it felt like somehow and, and and that's something we deal with in the show this concept of you know that that schizophrenia you know young was studying schizophrenia and you know hitler you know once world war 2 started and they started exterminating people the first group of people he exterminated you know wasn't jews it was um people that were schizophrenic which is strange. And it's like, did they, because I think it's like 60% of the assassinations in history were carried out by people that were schizophrenic. And it's almost like schizophrenic people possibly are, you know, the filter is turned off, right? For a lot of things that, that we all, I think, filter yeah. out. And so those filters are damaged or turned off or, or whatever. So a lot more um, input, inf information is sort of, coming in, you know, as, as an input. And you, you, you almost wonder in terms of like LSD studies, you know, psychedelics, because the, the brain of someone on LSD and the brain of someone who is schizophrenic are almost identical, right? And so is it somewhat of this, this tuning in, you know, or at least being able to access a lot more information that's coming in. And, and I just, I just wondered, man, if, if, if somehow they were, you know, the people that, and it was more than one person. There were at least three people involved in putting these signs up around town. And I, I just wondered if somehow there, cause I don't think there was any way they listened to the podcast, but I do think somehow they were picking up on 
this information that we were broadcasting. Still there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Dude, you're talking about that shit, and my connection just cut out, and it like <laughs> it popped, and then cut out again. I'm not even shitting you. I sat here last night in the same spot for however long we talked, and had not a problem. That was really weird. It looked really strange, you know, like the way that it. <laughs> uh, dude. Well, but yeah. So that was strange. That was weird. Nate's insight and experiences on a lot of these things are very interesting. And the more in-depth we talked, strange occurrences continued to happen with our call. When we talked to Jim Goodall, we experienced similar problems. As Weebs gave a disclaimer in an earlier episode, we use Skype all the time, and not without its problems. But this kept happening at certain points in our conversation that didn't make any sense. And the both of us were at a loss as to why... The strange occurrences kept happening on our call. Another bizarre phenomena that we have started noticing, even just lately, are these series of numbers that keep coming to us. Um, The first one that came to me actually came in a dream. And I still don't even know what all this means, but I was somewhere very dark. And there was this book that looked like this, it was this very old, ornate, like leather-bound book. And the number on the front of it was 503. And so I told you about the dream that next day, and we Googled it. And the only thing, like I, I Googled something like ancient book 503. I had no idea what the meaning was. The only thing that came up for you and I both was this book that was written, I think, in the 1920s by a Russian author. And the book is about this futuristic uh, existence where these people are all uh, uniform. They're all the same. They all have these shaved heads. They all have pale skin. They all wear these blue uniforms. And they are creating a race of perfect people. And once they have perfected their race, then they are going to go to space and take all of their knowledge to other planets, to other beings that are there to tell them how to do it. In the book, everybody is identified by a number instead of a name. And the number of this man who was writing the book is 503. The only similarities that I found in this book were that he falls in love with a woman whose number is 330. 330 is my birthday, March 30th. He refers to her as a pale woman with bright blue eyes and sharp white teeth. And he refers to her as, especially in the first chapter or two, these, she has these features that he says, he uses the letter X frequently. And then in another line, he says, she says to him, 3.30 says to 5.03, meet me at auditorium 112. That's good. 112, it, it shows up a lot. And if you don't know what 112 is, if you listen to the first part of this series, uh, we talked to Connor, you know what I mean? He talks about the, the cipher of the euphonauts, the secret cipher that they have. And you take these numbers of these beings that give you their names, and it's supposed to be a, a code for something. And 
when you plug it into this cipher, it gives you a, a, a numerical value. And Indrid Cold's numerical value is 112. And it's crazy that this number appears in this book that I had never heard of. So Annie tells me this story. She has this thing. and We just look at it and we find this book. And the more we dug into this book and you start hearing the description of these guys, it goes back to the TNT bunkers. It becomes full circle. Annie describes this person that she sees standing there. And it's almost the same description as these people in this book. And there's a number 503. Three numbers. Keel talks about this in a lot of his letters that he received from people telling him that they kept hearing numbers in their sleep or phone calls. They would get weird numbers said to them. And it was always either two digits or three digits. Never more, never less. And that's a strange thing. But the phenomenon is not always restricted to electrical apparatuses. After I published a couple pieces about it, I received dozens of letters from people throughout the country recounting their own experiences. To my surprise, most of these people had heard the voices late at night, usually waking them up with a sharp command. For example, a man in the Southwest claimed he had been jarred awake on several different nights by the sound of a deep male voice ordering, Wake up, 491. A woman in Ohio heard the voice while driving, 873, you you are 873. And another woman in Kansas wrote, Please tell me who these people are that keep reading numbers to me. They sound as if they are standing right next to me, but there is no one there. Do we all have a number tattooed in our brains? Hardly. There are three billion people, so some of them should be numbered 2,834,689,357. But all of the numbers that have come to my attention contain only two or three digits. John Keel, The Mothman Prophecies. And why is this strange to me? It's because I've been followed by a number my whole life, and it didn't start with researching this. It started on my birthday, on the time that I was born. I was born at 5.17 a.m., and I became consciously aware of this. I think probably when I was 22, 23 years old, 24, I started seeing this number every day. It didn't matter what I was doing. Subconsciously, this number appeared to me. Whether I'd look at the time on the clock, it would be 517. I'd follow a car down the road and there would be 517 on the license plate. You know, I didn't physically look for this number. I would just look up somewhere and notice that it was there. And I still to this day don't know what it is. I dread this number. I dread it. Every time May 17th rolls around, I get scared to death. Like, am I going to die today? Is this my death date? What does the number 517 mean? And hopefully putting this out there and saying these numbers, people may pick up on it and be like, I know what that means. I know what it, what it is. It's a number that hauntingly has, has been following me my whole life. So you've always told me about the number 517. Lately, as I began hearing you in my sleep, I have had several occurrences where I have woken up very startled at 5.17 a.m. So now even I'm seeing 5.17 in other places. Well, that's the other thing about it is it's like, is it is it subconsciously me passing it on to you and that you're becoming more aware of it too? I mean, it's just crazy. It's something that, that I just, I've never been able to explain. I've never been able to understand, but I find it weird that, you know, I look at my birth certificate and you're born at 5.17 a.m. 
and I see the number every day in everything that I do. I don't see it like 10, 15, 20 times a day. I see it one time a day. And it's normally looking at, I just happen to look at my phone, pick up my phone, turn it on, 517. Be driving home from work, turn on the car, the clock comes on, 517. Like I said, license plate, 517. Credit card numbers. I have 517 in a couple of my credit card numbers. You know, randomly get the number sent to you and bam, 517 is one of those numbers. I don't know. It, it scares me. The number scares me. And even like you said, like all this stuff with the numbers, the 111s, 256 you know it's always like a three number or four number and i don't know how much you're into john keel but that's one of the things he looked at i don't know how deep he went into it but he talks about how all these things have to do with like people who are contactees or whatever talk about they hear people talk about numbers and it always comes in threes or fours or something like that it's like a randomness that you were saying it's it's just fucking crazy do you know what it reminds me of if you have you ever seen the film pie Darren Aronofsky's, I think it's his, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's black and white, but it's the guy's trying to. He's he's built a computer that 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 is able to to know the name of God, right? You know, and it involves all the Kabbalah stuff. But I mean, it is one of those strange things where you you start to wonder when you look at all of this stuff if you're going a little mad. After after we did the show, uh, after we did Hell Year, and after it was released, um, people started coming to Somerset and uh, uh, one of the people that showed up um, who and, and and we've become friends with him you know now um, he's part of the lodge and and researches and stuff but at the time we didn't know him and uh, I was crossing the street uh, to you know work at the studio above Jarflood this guy standing outside he's like are you Nathan and I'm like holy shit you know who's this and he I said yeah and, he said, well, can I ask you a few questions? And I was like, sure, I've got to, I've got to take care of some stuff. But, you know, later we can talk. So later when we were talking, um, he was asking about where the UFO, underground UFO base was. That was his, like, thing, you know. And, and I was like, man, there's no U, underground UFO base. And he was like, I, how do I know this isn't disinformation? <laughs> You know, it's like it's not disinformation. I don't think there's one under underneath uh, Somerset. I mean, I could be wrong, you know, but um, but that was his, you know, sort of focus. So we're talking about the stuff, and and um, he, he was saying how he was active on Reddit, and I, and I was like, well, what's your Reddit username, you know? And I'll I'll I'll, I'll hook up with you on there and see some of your stuff. And he said, my username is Mister One Eleven, right? And so. 111 is one of those strange numbers that just keeps appearing over and over again in Somerset because of the Freemasons. You know, the town's founded by Freemasons. The first bank was entirely founded by Freemasons. They lent all the money to, to grow the industry. Um, the town itself is laid out based off of the Freemason Lodge's key, you know, keystone. And that lodge is 111 which is one of the oldest lodges in America. And it was so weird that, you know, like he's standing there telling me that he's Mr. 111 and behind him is this lodge, you know, across the street. I'm like, did you know any of this? He was like, no, what are you talking about? And and then Sammy Catron, the sheriff who was assassinated, his unit number was 111. And 111 is a major 
Freemason Kabbalah number. It's the Aleph, 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 where it's like um, in Freemasonry, there's the two columns. And then when the initiate passes through the two columns, he forms the th- he or she form, you know, he forms the third column, you know, and it means um, the ox, you know, the, and, and also guardian of the gate. Which I thought was really strange in terms of of, uh, of Somerset and this whole mystery, but it, it was just strange that this guy shows up out of nowhere and he's Mister One Eleven, and, and he even had a a pendant that had one 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 on. It was the strangest. I had no idea any of that. Hmm. He, no, he had been. I mean, he was a magician. He was an OTO member, which I was kind of like, holy shit. When I first, you know, like this guy shows up and it's like, there's an OTO member here to see you. And I'm like, holy crap, you know. I mean, that's the only thing you can say about it because it's like, who knows why it's happening or, or, you know, it's just, it's just so strange. Well, it's that, it's that, it's that phenomenon like, you know, you never notice a silver car and then you buy a silver car and you notice every silver car on the friggin' road you know it could be that phenomena or simply that it's just it's supposed to be part of your repertoire every day i guess i don't know i do you know i didn't put a whole lot of stock in the 11 11 thing right you know like everybody talks about Mm -hmm. that and and definitely i was kind of like i don't know I, i don't know if that's like a a thing again it's like that it's just it's like a a form of um you know um numbers paradoia you know yeah. what i mean like 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 you said you know like once you once you see it then you can just keep seeing those things but i gotta tell you man the 111 thing <laughs> absolutely is like ingrained in this mystery at least in terms of our part of the mystery you know our part of exploring what this is, that number comes up over and over again. You know, um, I don't know so much about like ninety three. I've thought about that. Definitely, Highway thirty nine is ninety three, but I don't know. It's not the exact thing, you know. And it's you know, flip it around. But still, I don't know. Your your five seventeen thing though. Yeah, and it's either it's five seventeen or one five seven. It's 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 either or. But I see the number every day somewhere, and it's just the most obscure obscure places like. You pull up behind somebody's car and their license plate will say one five seven. It's like those three numbers appear a daily in my life, and it's not even like it's just to a point where I'll like pick up my phone at a certain time and just be like check the time, or I'm like getting on there to text somebody or whatever, and it's like oh five seventeen, or I get a new credit card issued to me and then one of the three of the numbers on there is five seventeen or one five seven. Like it's fucking weird. Well, you know, here something just occurred to me too. Like, um, I, I cannot remember what this is called, but um, I'll find it and I'll send it to you. But there's this uh, mathematician, and they were studying patterns in numbers. Well, they were studying um, the frequency of words, right? And so, if you look at the like, the frequency of words remains constant and so the way the numbers fall off and it's like this pattern is ingrained in so many things and it's like they know what the frequency of x is because this is just the natural order of things right Mm -hmm. and 
when you think about the fact that numbers were not really in any of the consciousness of human beings except for in the last like 150 years think about that you know like for for man you know like priests may have had numbers in gematria right but like the normal person on the street you or i would have never been exposed to numbers really unless we were you know of a certain you know class but for the most part like education only proliferated in the last century and so it's like seeing these things that you know yeah it could be some type of pareidolia but also it could be that that there are simply patterns in the code you know and that's what we're we're seeing you know the 517 has a greater connection to you because your code you know and and sort of your relationship to the system at large involves that in some configuration right and it always has and you never noticed it until you know you were sort of more aware of your own programming you know this research is still an everyday part of our lives it happens unexpectedly and with the connections that still baffle us. Just a few days ago, I made an astounding connection to my dream, the vision in the TNT bunkers, and the book We. Production halted. This episode was about to drop, and what we found had to be included in this last installment. So with the timeline to the episode rewritten, I included this strange connection so close to home. No, really, a seven-minute drive from our front door. If you go all the way back to Zamyatin's Wikipedia page, it describes basically the novel We. Zamyatin's novel We, which he wrote between 1920 and 1921, is set many centuries in the future D-503, a mathematician, lives in the one state, an urban nation constructed almost entirely of glass apartment buildings, which assist mass surveillance by the secret police or the Bureau of Guardians. The structure of the one state is panopticon-like, and life is scientifically managed based on the theories of F.W. Taylor. So then when you look up F.W. Taylor, Frederick Winslow Taylor, 1856 to 1915, was an American mechanical engineer, largely known for his methods of improving industrial efficiency. He was one of the first management consultants. So if you scroll all the way down and read about his legacy, the Taylor Society was founded in 1912 by Taylor's allies to promote his values and influence. A decade after Taylor's death in 1915, the Taylor Society had 800 members, including many leading U.S. industrialists and managers. In 1936, the society merged with the Society of Industrial Engineers, forming the Society for Advancement of Management, which still exists today. Guess where its headquarters is? Where? Marshall University. Here in Huntington, West Virginia? You're joking. You're shitting. It's right there. Holy 
shit. One John Marshall Drive, College of the Business Dean's Office. That's the college that I graduated from that you work for. Do you know how many hours of my life I've spent in And it's right there. <laughs> That's like a total mind. You can't make this shit up. You can't. The mission of SAM, the Society for Advancement of Management, is to provide an opportunity for the members to increase management skills and expertise through participation in programs and services designed to improve the professional quality of their knowledge, performance, and leadership ability. Is the contact. So this is based on this guy, this guy based this utopian society on this Taylor guy's concept of what he... Correct. That's, that's inc incredible. And the society that merged all of his, like, what he originally created, this society of management people merged all of these clubs, basically, that are supposed to, you know, help with industrial management. And it's headquartered at Marshall. I Why? I can't even believe that. Why? Now, what if you walk in there, you walk in hall, and their office is in like room 330 or room 112 or room 503? That's insane, Annie. That's insane. I've been in much too. College of the Business Dean's Office 107G hall. So it's on the ground 107, room 107. I can't even believe that shit. I guess the question is, have you experienced any paranormal events directly tied to the research that you've done that's been reported before? So say, you know, somebody's reported some weird event and then you've re as you've researched it, it's happened to you as well. Like, you know, we talked about numbers, we talked about strange visitors, like EBEs or men in black, just weird people, like any kind of telepathy stuff, just anything that's, you know, you've researched that you've personally experienced. One of the strangest things that happened was um, this Darian and I built this thing called, um, he built it, you know, uh, called the channel bot, right? And it uses uh, random number generators to um, it channels the book of the law. There's a Shannon threshold for entropy. And so the person is supposed to ask a question and then focus on that question, and then it runs through the text, right, of, of the channel bot. And then we'll, if, if you're able to affect the entropy in your immediate area and lower it below the Shannon threshold through your intention, right, through your will, it'll start to spit out a message. It's kind of, kind of like a quantum Ouija board, right? And so... Um, we released that for the, the members of the lodge, and they were uh, they were some of them were used. You know, lots of people use it. They use it weekly. And one night, Darian and I were. This is recently too, just a, just a few months ago. We were sitting, and I was at his house, and we were going back and forth about Discordianism, um, the connection between. Um, the founders of Discordianism and the JFK assassination, like uh, a bunch of weird stuff, you know. And he had the server open, right? And and so we can see the channeling sessions come in live, 
right, from all the different members. And it was like 12, it was like just after midnight. And we're sitting there, and I'm talking to him. And as I'm saying words, this person who's a member of the lodge is is asking the questions is saying the same words that are coming out of my mouth trying because it's like we've identified an edge or a feature of reality right Uh, of the way it functions or at least the way the world functions and we can't see the whole thing but we see it's like we see an edge of the gear so we know it's a mechanism of some sort. You know, we can't see the whole machine, but we know there's a machine. And it's, I don't know, man, it's just strange. That's why I think, so people, I've been on a lot of, you know, I've done a lot of interviews with a lot of people that were just like, oh, Hellier's bullshit. You know, like, you know, like, I hate, you know, I hate Hellier, that's bullshit, you know. But I'm like, well, no matter if you believe them or not, what happened in terms of what we're doing, what they were doing, it's undeniably weird. And that's where people usually are like, well, yeah, that is strange. Well, that, I mean, the, the whole thing is strange, you know? Connections are connections. I mean, there's just no, I've always had this theory, and maybe it's a little out there, maybe it's a little far fetched, but I grew up, you know, was raised Catholic. My family was really Orthodox Catholic, and, you know, you're not supposed to have these ideas of reincarnation. You know, when you die, you go to heaven, that's it. You know, you, coming to the glory of the Lord and blah, blah, blah. But I honestly have seen too much stuff, experienced too much stuff to realize that, you know, there might be something else. There might be a reincarnation. You might come back to something. And people come and go into your lives for reasons, you know what I mean? And I've just always had this strange idea that if you have some past life, you are ultimately embedded into the same circle of people the same people who are the same people reincarnated as somebody else like you and me had some type of relationship in in a past life where you know maybe we corresponded through letters like 200 years ago about information and here we are again you know it's that that same circle is repeating itself there too and connections are connections you know what i mean it's it's if that makes sense. No, totally. I do believe that, though. I do. I, 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 it's just one of those things where it's like, I think that sort of the, the configurations of people are, it's just, it's like a fucking computer program, man. You know what I mean? Like, it's a piece of, so, it's a piece of software, right? And so all of the people that are elements of that program, you know, it's just, you're always together you know, over and over again, you know? There are two forces in the world, entropy and energy. One leads to blissful quietude, to happy equilibrium. The other to destruction of equilibrium, to tormentingly endless movement. Entropy was worshipped as God by our, or rather, your ancestors, the Christians. Yevgeny Zemyatin, we.
So now we get a chance to sit down here and talk about all of these episodes, this whole series as a whole. What started out as talking about and looking into an experience this guy Woodrow Derenberger had on the highway with this being injured cold has turned into this whole gigantic thing for us. This research has just been unending and it seems like it's never going to end. But I want to ask you honestly how you feel about all this stuff. You came in here almost as a skeptic. You had an experience that you can't explain, but these connections that we've made and all of this research we've done, what are your thoughts on all of this stuff? I think my first thought into everything was that how everything had this perfectly imperfect way of coming together to create this series that we never intended to create. What we meant for just a one-off episode, you sitting down talking with Tanya, turned into a year and a half of our lives that has led to some of the most bizarre phenomena and circumstances and research that we never intended to get into. That is what baffles me the most. And every time we sit down and we say, all right, this is going to be the final episode. This is where we're going to wrap it up. We run into something like we ran into this week that throws another wrench in the system. And it starts us on this roller coaster ride of research all over again. You know, I was kind of sad thinking we would sit down and kind of have this farewell to this story like we are breaking up with it. The things that we began researching this week came up again, just almost out of nowhere. And it's made me realize that just like Nate said in parts of this, you know, the earlier episode, when you start researching this and you get into this phenomena, it almost ingrains itself in your life. You can't look back. You can only look forward from what you have, the knowledge that you have gained about this phenomena, knowing that it's out there, knowing that it's real. And I'm not saying that I still am not a little skeptical of the Mothman theory in and of itself. I would say now, after all of the research that we've done, I would probably venture to say that my opinion is more that Mothman, if it existed, was something created by the government. It was completely man-made. It is not a, I don't want to say a cryptid creature, but it's something that somebody of a higher power knew was out there to scare people away from the secrets that they were hiding beginning around World War II. I can see that point, especially with with all the research we've done looking into the tech companies and this area being such a huge place for natural resources and industry. I can say that with everything that I am, I, I, you know, you know me, you, you keep me grounded in all of this stuff, but I always want to jump head first in and look at it and be like, yeah, that's what it is. It's something mysterious. It's something out of the realm of possibility. But the more that we researched all of these things and seen that these numbers were, were in these areas where this tech, these tech giants were, it was just undeniable. It was hard to just ignore it. You know, and, and doing the first episode and talking to Connor Randall and talking about windows, window areas and liminal spaces and, you know, just all these strange events happening at one time. After you sit down and really look at it and think about it and think about how reality works, especially like that was one of the best parts of talking about Nate, you know, 
throughout the two years of doing this stuff, you know, we, we've been fortunate enough to become friends with Nathan and, and the rest of the guys in Somerset and the stuff that they're looking into is completely just, it boggles your mind when you think about how everything is like the matrix almost. And it's on a completely different level. So we don't want to compare ourselves or the research that we've done to anybody else. But when you talk about other, you know, researchers that have come forward with things of a completely different nature, whether you're talking about Nate and the Penny Royal guys um, or, you know, just other UFO encrypted phenomena that has become so popular in the media in the past couple of years. None of it is exactly the same. None of us started at the same point, but it's all coming full circle for whatever reason. And it's bringing all of us together. And it's like I said before, we kind of start on different points of a circle. But at some point, you're going to come around and you're going to meet all these other people. And these other people are going to bring thoughts into your mind that didn't exist before. The one part that has confounded me more than anything, even above Mothman and Indrid Cold and are they related? And why did they appear in these areas of high tech? The numerology and the dreams. And that's and, and that's what I, I was trying to make a point with, with talking to Nate was that he brought about the point that there was all of these programs, psyops that they were doing. The government was testing on these people. And you think about how all this stuff happened at the same time, especially in Point Pleasant and West Virginia became this area of high strangeness. You know, the Mothman appears and all of a sudden you get these weird people on the highway saying they're from different planets. Could this have been, because there is complete evidence that there was projects created by the government in the 50s to just screw with people's minds. And, you know, Nate brought that point up in part of this, and it's just like, you know, could have all this just been some experiment to see how humanity was going to react? Part of the technology of creating different things in this area, and this could have been one of the things. And that was one of the most fascinating things that looking at the tech side of it and, and whether the government had influence in it or not, it was private business. It was just interesting to go down that road. And when you look at the area that we live in, I, I think the Appalachian area would probably be a pretty, if if somebody was going to come in here and screw with anybody's minds, you know that the Appalachian area is a little, um, you know, separated geographically from a lot of people, right? Maybe not so much now as it was in World War II era, but we probably were a little more cut off from society when you're talking about technology phones and uh, tv and radio it was probably a real bare minimum around here i know the way that my grandparents grew up and so if they were going to mess with people who they didn't want to talk to other people people of the appalachians are pretty um pretty quiet people kind of secretive we kind of maybe keep to ourselves a little bit about things like that that happen um, we're just private people. Did they see that? Did they see that we were a little separated geographically and technologically and think that they were going to come in here and maybe mess with people and or this would be a good place to do it because of its remoteness? I see that now. I, I see that in a different light. I think that a lot of this quote unquote paranormal activity maybe that goes on in this area could have been created. It, it could be man-made. There are times that we have gone into paranormal investigations when we have said that we felt like the quote-unquote haunting that was happening in that area, the energy that resounded to us 
could have been created by people that were still alive. You know, everybody leaves their energy footprint on every place that they go. I think that could be some of what we're dealing with. I stand firm, though, in my belief. Like, I honestly do think there's something we don't understand. There's a greater purpose. I briefly touched on this talking with Nate that, you know, you look into this this vastness, this unknown, and it something looks back at you. And there's just been too many things like this whole episode based on the strange things that happened once we started looking into all this stuff. So regardless if it's government have their hands in it, these tech companies have their hands in some of this stuff. They're in these strategic areas for a reason. And you cannot dismiss the strange things. The word, I guess, synchronicity is the perfect word for it. You can't dismiss the strange things that have happened, especially dealing with the number stuff. And the stuff that keeps happening again and again and again when you stare into this void. And that's the thing that I can't wrap my mind around. You know, regardless if we want to sit here and say that injured cold didn't exist, it was, you know, a figment of Woodrow Derenberger's imagination and all the stuff Tanya talked about never happened. We cannot deny that this is a strange area and the stuff that we've looked into and the stuff that other people have looked into and how our researchers have collided together. There's just no denying there's something else to it. I don't think we're supposed to know everything about it. I don't think we're supposed to understand everything about it. There have been times, you know, in the past months when we've been looking into this that I basically said, I don't want to do this anymore. Because you become a little fearful about the things that you're now understanding when it comes to these tech companies and what they control in our lives every day and in the world around us and how easily these things could be manipulated to take over our lives. And in some way they have, right? How many people are walking around without a cell phone in their pocket right now or a laptop on their shoulder? You hate to say that Big Brother is watching, but they are. So why are they watching us? But going back to, you know, you can't unlearn the things that you've learned now. And so you have to be able to move forward with that knowledge and say, okay, well, this this is what we understand to be true now. How do you adapt your life around that, basically? And there came a time in all of this that I thought, I just, it's too much. And I don't want to do this anymore. I fear after, especially after the person showed up here, that census taker and freaked us out a little bit. I looked at you and I said, what if that was one of those experiences like the people had in Point Pleasant? I don't want that for my family. And I'm going to be done with it. I'll wash my hands of it if that's what it comes to. Um, But it didn't. And it's affected us in other ways, I guess, more privately. And we've just shared those with everybody now. I don't have we I started this series being a huge skeptic of a lot of this phenomena. And I leave it more confused than I was when we started. With the paranormal field, any of it, any research you do, when one door opens, there's 10 million more doors that you have to look into, knock on and figure out where they go. And I have to say, out of all of this, the strange stuff that happened, the really big blow came just this week when we were doing the research into that dream you had, that book. And we discovered that connection that is literally right here, we, you know, where we, you went to school where I work, it was right here. 
You know what I mean? And if that's the small connection that we were supposed to make, is that if that's what we're supposed to take out of this, I mean, that was pretty, pretty amazing that we discovered that. I don't know. It is. It's something that I probably won't ever put to bed, but it's something that you kind of have to sit down and you have to, you have to go to on to the next thing. You know what I mean? And it, it's hard to, it's hard to let it go, but you can't. We we spent so much time on it, and it's just you can't look that deep into it all day long. It seems like so much of this stuff that we have uncovered, it seems now like it's been looking us in the face this whole time. And we just didn't realize it. We, whether we're so, you know, self-absorbed, such as self-absorbed people that we just wrap ourselves in our everyday thinking. I think that's the one thing that I would ask everybody who has listened to this series to take away from this is to step outside of your box. And look at yourself, look at your everyday life and realize the stuff that's going on around you. It's something that we're never going to get away from. And even if we move on to a different series that is something completely different, which is what we have planned right now, like you said before, it's something that we will never completely, totally put to bed because we can't. We can't unlearn what we know now. A mysterious encounter that began on a highway for Woodrow Derenberger has led many down roads of their own, finding mystery and strange encounters. Our story is just one of many in the vastness of some greater purpose, a story that we can now say we have told. No matter what you find, it's the story that brings us all together. I think Nathan explains it best. If these types of stories are these like puzzles that unfold and are are almost help you connect with yourself in ways that you never would have been able to do before, you know? And and because everybody was so closed off and it's like now everybody's so exposed that, you know, we're wide open to, to sort of hold that mirror up and look at ourselves and see how exposed we are. You know, I'm saying that in terms of like even with Facebook and social media and all these things, right? We've opened ourselves up so much to the outer world. It's like we've forgotten to look inside. And so these kinds of stories help us to see ourselves in a way that that is obfuscated by the very nature of the systems we use every day, you know? To, to interact with our, you know, our friends in society. You know, it's crazy. Thank you for listening to I Am Cold Part 6, The Void. This series was written, researched, and produced by Brendan Shea and Annie Weibel. Additional research and co-producer is Chris DeMarais. Follow Chris on his Facebook group, MUFON South Carolina. A special thanks to our friend Nathan Isaac for lending his voice and insights. Check out the Penny Royal podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Also follow Nate's YouTube page, Summer Sessions, for great folk music videos. A very special thank you to our great friend Chris DeMarais, Your hours and hours of research made this series possible, and your friendship means the world to us both. The Serial Spirits Podcast will be back soon. Until then, we will see you in time.